Hear that? That's the sound of a patient whose health data is protected from a cyber attack. And that, that's the sound of a financial system that's digitally secured from bad actors. Right now, there's an invisible war being fought on a digital battlefield that impacts what we do every day. That's why at Paraton, we do the can't be done to help protect the vital systems we rely on. Because if we don't, the alternative is unimaginable. Paraton. The guest has arrived. The host is prepped and ready. Ladies and gentlemen, this is One on One with Bill Alexander. Hi, everyone. Yours truly, William Eric Alexander. All my friends call me Bill, and you're on One on One with Bill Alexander on this wonderful day. And it's a very special day today because I get to speak to a woman who not only worked with the Bee Gees, but also was working with Peter Frampton at the same time. Wonder who that was, huh? Well, I have Diane Steinberg on with me today. Diane, how are you doing today? Well, hi, Bill. Thank you so much for having me on today. It's, uh, <laughs> we've, been, we've been trying to pull this together yes. for a while. But the Thank interesting th thing is, if my audience doesn't understand that reference, you were actually Lucy in the movie Sergeant Pepper's Lonely Heart Club Band, yeah. which was done, let me see if I got my year right, 1978? Well, it was done in 77, but it came okay. in 78. 78. Yeah. So you worked with the Bee Gees. You were the love interest with Peter Frampton. You had all this fun. It is so great to have you on the program today. And as I talked to you last week, I received something the other day that is uh -oh. brand new sealed in package. Now you told me that the photograph on the inside of this was the reason why you got the part of Lucy and Sergeant Pepper's Lonely Heart Club Band. Is that correct? So you're gonna like take that uh, layer off and-, and I am going to, I am going to get my little handy dandy pocket knife out. Yeah, and then you tell me what you think. And we will take this layer of plastic off. It's like an album, uh, album I'm real. So this album is Universal Child. It has your hit on it, Baby I'm Yours which is a wonderful song and let me see and was originally done by barbara lewis yeah i can see why they chose you for it <laughs> so here it is there's the inside cover and yeah. there's the photograph <laughs> well that okay. they decided to use this is again i i was not going to open it i did not want to see it until i had you here so but now i understand why they decided to ask you to play the part. Now, well, Diane, explain to my audience who you are a little bit, because I know some of them may not remember you or may not be familiar with you. Okay. So for those who were fans of the movie, I was uh, Lucy in the Sky with Diamonds. And uh, I auditioned um, after I had heard Carly Simon and, uh, oh my God, uh, Natalie Cole and, and Donna Summers, and um, uh, there was a, a plethora of, you know, of actresses at the, and singers who had auditioned at that time. And I had just finished my album with ABC, and Charlie Minor was the one that opened it up and called up Fern Champion. 
at Fern Champion Casting and because they, they were busy trying to fi find out who would do it. Carly Simon was not going to do Lucy. She was going to do, uh, well, no, no, yeah, they wanted her for Lucy, but she didn't want to do it for whatever reasons. I think somebody said she was shy, but anyway. So I'd already had an album on Atlantic Records first, and it started touring with that. And at the time I finished the Sgt. Pepper album, excuse me, the ABC album, Universal Child, the one you just showed, I was supposed to open for George Benson. And okay. we had talked about Gino Vanelli being an opening for Gino Vanelli who was the one instrumental in getting me the demo that led to this second album. I was over at A&M Records one day and uh, he kind of poked his head in. I was uh, singing for one of the PR guys and he poked his head in and I didn't know who this guy with all this hair. Right. And I, I uh, so I kind of looked out and he introduced himself and, and um, uh, then he, I came, went out on the balcony and I looked down and he was talking to Karen Carpenter and her brother and Herb Alpert. And they were looking up at me and I'm, you know, and so he said, give us, let her go in the studio and do a demo. You know, okay. I didn't sign with A&M, but I did, uh, that demo led to me getting a deal with ABC Records. Wow. Which led to Sergeant Pepper. So I also heard with the with Sergeant Pepper with Lucy, they were actually um, and I and I don't know if this is true. Correct me if I'm wrong, mm -hmm. but they thought about using Olivia Newton John, but they realized she was taller than Peter Frampton. Is that true? Well, I think the height had a lot to do with the casting for okay. for that. Uh, Olivia Newton John was supposed to play Strawberry Fields. Oh, okay. But you know, I think Olivia was starting to work on. Uh, what was the one she was? It was either Greece, Greece, or um, no, Xanadu didn't come out. Uh, yeah, Xanadu came out in the early 80s. So, okay, so that was later. But right. yeah, so for whatever reason, she did not want to do it. And so they were uh, madly in the search for Strawberry and Lucy in the Sky. So that turned out to be Sandy Farina, who's still living in New York. And I'm in contact with her. Uh, uh, and um, uh, also uh, me for Lucy. Right. So before you, you got this, how long were you singing before you got that uh, demo with A&M? Oh, let, let me tell you, I, I was going to college and uh, it was like, it was like my sophomore year. Now my freshman year, I used to play the piano because I thought I was going to be a concert pianist. You know? Okay. <laughs> they let me know that it wasn't going to be that, but they, they put me into, uh, they gave me a little time to declare my, my uh, major. But in the meantime, I did the basic things. And so I'd go downstairs and I had learned all of Roberta Flack's things. And uh, I had learned uh, any female that played the piano and sang, I was there. And I love Barbara. Streisand, and I love musicals. So I would go down in the school dorm while everybody was making out. Yeah. And I would just play, you know, and or if they had a silent movie night, I would go down there and just play because I've, I've played piano since I was five. And uh, my family are, they're totally into the music and radio business. So I was okay. all around it. 
Um, my dad had his orchestra. Uh, my mother was in radio at WDIA in Memphis. She's one of the first women in radio. Oh, really? She, okay. She, my, they called her Martha Jean the Queen. And um, but they didn't in Memphis. They didn't call her that at first. She she worked up to it. But she and my dad met, and my dad had his orchestra, and uh, he also had his brothers in the orchestra, Wilbur, Morris, Louis, and uh, his sister Nan had already gone out on the road singing with Barry, Barry, uh, Bunny Berrigan, the trumpet player. There were several others, I swear, I keep forgetting their names, but she did, she kind of followed, you know, that songstress, you know, big band singer thing. Right. And uh, so the, her, and she was the eldest Steinberg girl. My grandmother, Ida Fox, had five children with a Clouston. And then after that, Milton Gus Steinberg saw her and said, she's going to be mine. And so he proceeded to have 10 more kids with her. So she had 15 kids. Wow. Yeah. So, and then most of them ended up in uh, music or the entertainment or club business or, you know, or teaching, which is um, to, to go back a little bit with me, um, while I was uh, going to college and got my degree in public school music, I taught at Battle Creek Central High School. And all while I taught, all when I was in college, taught up, I was always performing, you know. Right. Uh, I wasn't doing really a lot of stage things, but I finally uh, heard a girl, and I, I always say this, and God bless Robin G. I don't know who she married to call her anything else now, but she was playing uh, Puff the Magic Dragon. And I said, well, where are you going? She says, I got to go to a gig. Now I had spent all, my mother sent me, I guess, $20 a month. That did not last long. And I, she said, I said, you're going to do a gig? And she went, yeah. And I went, well, what are you going to play? She said, Puff the Magic Dragon. And she was going through that. And I went, boy, uh, where's, where, where's the place? Yeah. <laughs> so I found, found out about it. And she, when she told me she was getting $4 an hour, I knew that had to be, I had to get in on that, you know. I had to pay for those cigarettes I was smoking at school then. But anyway, <laughs> it was a long time ago. But so I, I performed then. And then when I graduated and started teaching high school, um, I went back and they said, Diana, I know you've graduated, but they're looking for uh, somebody to play Anita in West Side Story. And I had done some theater, but not a lot. And then that got me in theater. And I, I actually wanted to be a dancer okay. before being a musician. Cause you know, when you got musicians in your house and all around you all the time, you know, it's like, okay, that's easy. That was easy, but I wanted to dance. But at that time, the, the colleges didn't have performing arts schools. If you were gonna major in uh, dance, especially in in Michigan, I went to Western Michigan University, you had to major in physical ed. Okay. Oh, really? That's interesting. Yeah, well, that's all they had. I mean, dance was part of the physical ed program, and I wasn't going to do that. So Right. So so that's interesting. So you really had no, you really had no desire to be in the music in the performing business like the family you went into education no no i did i did want to do that oh you did i had a plan i i I knew that 
it was risky. And as I started performing in college and while I was teaching, it became very obvious to me that uh, that uh, the plan was get your degree, do what you're going to do, perform and get, get whatever I got you. up to speed. And then when the opportunity presents itself, you'll, you'll be ready. And it, that's what happened. So that's interesting. So how many albums did you record? Um, I did uh, the first album with um, ABC Rec um, Atlantic Records. Okay. And that was just Diane Steinberg. I've had it on the wall here somewhere. See, you should have told me. I would have. Put them <laughs> and then I did the Universal Child album after that. Right. And then I was commissioned to do um, a gospel album for my mother. She said, I want something that sounds Catholic. I want something that sounds uh, Presbyterian. I want, boy, it, that's it's kind of bright here. That got Kenny, a little bit bright. Yeah. I, I got a halo. <laughs> Am I being blessed? Yes, it? I think you are. I think you are. Okay, let me. Should I? Should I? I better leave it alone. Okay, so um, no, that's not any better. Okay, so um, uh, so after I did finish that that album, I started doing TV things. Like I, I wrote "Evening at the Improv," the comedy show. I wrote. Yes. The Second, the first theme after that, they wanted something else. So uh, I went in on the second theme and uh, that, that ran for many years. And then I, I started doing TV and radio cues and, you know, background singing and, and work with a lot of wonderful people, you know. Um, um, a lot of those girls that were in 20 feet from stardom, you know, I've known many of them for a very long time. And, uh, and I've come, and I've, when I was in Memphis, I was raised knowing B.B. King and Rufus Thomas wow. and, and uh, Elvis used to open up for my dad's band. You know, he thought he couldn't play guitar. Well, you know, hey, <laughs> we ain't talking about that anymore. Yeah, that's true. You know, um, that's interesting because usually um, we hear of the, the the starving artist, the musician that goes out and does all this other stuff, but you actually had a plan that you actually had a job. You were able to keep food on the table, keep yourself going and yet perform on the side until you had your big break. And that's really, that's really interesting. I don't usually hear that. So, well, you know, my mother had lots of producers and things. She was, when she was on radio, she was known as Martha Jane McQueen. And right. Martha and then Detroit and Clive Davis and everybody, they were very, um, uh, uh, um, you know, they, 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 he, she would take songs like, and I've said this on many interviews, like Oh Holy Night or Silent Night or the Christmas album by Barbara Streisand. Mm -hmm. When at that time, a, a lot of DJs were, we, we can't play that. I mean, right. she's Jewish and it's like, forget that. She went, I like it. So she would flip it. And she also flipped the B side of Gladys Knight to the become a big hit of neither one of us will be the oh, first. Oh, really? Yeah. And uh, so she she knew how to break a record. She knew how to sell a product, but uh, also by being on community radio in Memphis, Tennessee, uh, they they thought that not only do you sell, not only do you entertain, mm -hmm. but you've got to help your community. I mean, right. she she talks about one day somebody called and said uh, there was a party last night and the man lost his teeth. So the DJ <laughs> woke up. Really. 
and they helped the man find his teeth. I mean, they, they found wives. They they found husbands. And, That's good. And teeth, you know. And so teeth, anyway. yeah. So, uh, uh, you know, I've kind of got a really good mix. And then my dad was a jazz musician okay. and was there at the crossover of uh, uh, Boogie Woogie, you know, jazz. Mm-hmm. But, but, you know, jazz guys, they're very particular, you know. Yes. Yes. So um, when they had to cross over and play some of the pop things, dad was somewhat reluctant, but he did sign with Sam Phillips and uh, Leonard Chess and Sam Phillips took him into the studio under another name, Lou Sargent. And he wasn't a singer. He was a trumpet player. Right. So his brother uh, say uh, Wilbur, he was the one that sang Mop Bop Boogie. Their hit was Riding the Boogie. And dad he, he, he just couldn't get with it, you know. Uh, so everybody else kept on, but one of his friends and one of his, the guy he, he used to, you know, uh, kind of go toe-to-toe on went with the trumpet was uh, Willie Mitchell. And Willie Mitchell uh, is responsible for the Memphis horns that you're on Otis Ready yes. and Al Green. Yeah, wow. And I'm going to tell you, his son, Boo, because they have Royal Studios in Memphis still. And uh-huh. his son, Boo, was the one that was uh, the producer for Uptown Saturday Night. Fuck you up, you know. You're right. Okay, interesting. Yeah. because uh, Wow. Yeah, so he went. Uh, who, you know, see, I'm bad with names. That boy, I love his music. What is uh-huh. Uptown Funk? What's his name? Um, Pharrell. Come on, uh, now. Uh, You're younger than me. Come on. <laughs> I, I know who you're talking about. It drives me crazy. I, I do the know, same it's, thing. Uh, it's Bruno Mars. Bruno Mars. Is it Bruno? And okay. I, do you know when I when I th- I get ready to say Bruno Mars and almost Marco Rubio comes out of my mouth, so all my teeth are about to fall out when I say that. Anyway, <laughs> I'm sorry. Uh, yeah, you're right. Bruno Mars. I'll be darned. That's that's true. That's really cool. That yeah. Because again, like you said, you're you you know all these people. Yeah. And and now, did you ever have the opportunity to perform with your dad? No, and that was my dream. And you know, when I went to college, I said, "Dad, I'm gonna get, I'm gonna get my degree, and we're gonna be able to do things together." Uh-huh. But what I did do, uh, I I recorded a song that my mom and dad sang, uh, wrote on, uh, and I put it on my first album called In Vain. And I have uh, some several other songs and uh, will incorporate them at where it's appropriate for memoirs of a daughter, which is what oh. I'm working on now. So, yeah. okay, so the other question is, was your mother still working in radio when you released your first album? Yeah. Did she oh, make your song? Was, did she play my song? Yeah. Oh, hell yeah. It was, it was embarrassing. You know, I, I, I shouldn't say it like that. I'm very grateful, Mom. Yes, I am. But, you know, it's like she would, she would do her regular thing to break that record. Yes. And so when I, when I did the gospel album and I did like a, 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 a Lord's Prayer with a Hawaiian mm-hmm. feel and, you know, then I, it's very eclectic. But, uh, yeah, she she played all of them, and I have people responding to "Baby I'm Yours" and even the first album, 
Some people just love uh, one more time. In fact, yeah. I was thinking of calling my 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 last tour. I don't know if it'll be the very last, but I'm going to do it one more time. If there it's not you go. Last, it'll be one more one time. more time. I like that. That's really good. Now, the reason I asked that is because. Um, I think it'd be cool to have a parent or have a child do that and being able to say, Hey, this is my kid and this is what they're doing. And the reason I say that I have a son who's 21, who is a singer and he is in musical theater. He is one. I mean, of course I'm dad, I'm going to say he's wonderful, but I would love that opportunity that if he ever did anything, I would be the first one to be able to play it and be able to do that. So again, I get that. I really understand that. No, he'll love you playing, but playing it, but he's not going to want you to be the only one playing. Oh, I know. I know that. I know that for a fact. So we went from music to acting. Did you have any plans of being an actress? Well, you know, I, I had, uh, uh, I, my mom says that I was up and walking when I was nine months. I just, I don't know, somebody, well, anyway, so, uh, but I had, I had my dance, she took me to dance classes when I was about two or three, okay. and then I started piano at five, because uh, the, the, our babysitter down the street, her dad was a Baptist minister, and they had this broke down piano, and they were teaching thing, you know, little pentatonic things, and dad heard me play it one day, and he went, well, I guess here, here we go, you know, uh, and my grandfather was a piano player, and his name was Milton Gus Steinberg. And he was uh, he was raised on Bill Street. Well, that's a whole other story. The Steinbergs of Bill Street, baby, it's going to be out of sight. But anyway, <laughs> it is the story of America. Okay. okay. All right. So uh, Grandpa was at, was at Pee Wee Saloon. And I, I know your listeners if, will hear this i have to tell you because they may not have heard this but peewee was an italian guy that got off the train in memphis he was a kind of like hoboing it across you know okay yeah and uh, he had a real thick uh italian accent and so he jumped off the uh this is in wc handy's um uh autobi his uh, biography and and so he jumps off the train and he goes down to the big muddy the mississippi to clean himself up pulls out a few coins you know and he, in the lining he found a couple of nickels or whatever and um and he's and uh he saw a black guy came down there and you know people on bill street they didn't care if you had an accent i mean mm -hmm. Yo, come on up with us so they took him up there on bill street and he learned how to throw those dice and and he worked himself up to a fruit stand and then he worked himself up to a sharp suit and then he worked himself up to a bigger store and okay family in and then he had a saloon and okay. by this time see you have to understand a bill street it was like there were there were black folks most people go oh black with the blues mm -hmm. there were italians there was jews there was a chinese i mean my grandpa lived with his mother over pong's laundry when he was 10 years old helping going back and forth but then he'd hear that blues every day Mm -hmm. So then, and he learned how to play piano by ear. So when, when Pee Wee finally got the saloon happening, where all those well-known, uh, uh, you know, those jazz uh, ragtime piano guys were coming in, uh, Jelly Roll Morton and everybody. I mean, he was there hearing all of that. So 
one day he was playing and I guess Pee Wee just let him go have a, have a gig. And uh, he was 21. And that's when uh, W.C. Handy came in and heard him play and took him out on the road with him. Wow. Okay. So, and then, then my, uh, in, in uh, the guy that was considered a historian, Lieutenant Lee was his name. He, uh, he talked about when my grandfather died, say he said, and the, uh, he was a one of the folklore characters of Beale Street in that every, everywhere, any time something musical was happening on Beale Street, a Steinberg was always there. And it was like my dad, and then my uncle Louie became founding member with uh, Steve Cropper and Booker T and Al Jackson and co-wrote Green Onions. He was in Booker T and EMGs. EMGs, okay. Before Doug Dunn. Okay, well, that's that's interesting. So how, were, how old were you um, when you released your first song? Are you trying to find out how old I no, am? No, 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 no. I'm just <laughs> asking because I want to set up my next question. <laughs> Um, I was teaching. I think I was 21. Okay. So that would have been about what year? 21, 20. You trying to find out. No, how I am not. Okay. So, <laughs> that's all right. I'm proud. I'm still alive. Okay. So, uh, that would have been like 72, 71. Okay. That's what I did. 73. Okay. 72. So, the music industry and the history that your family has prior to that. Yeah. Can you compare what you did with what they did 20 and 30 years before? Or do you think that they had a much more interesting life than you did in the 1970s? Because we saw a change in the music industry um, from the, from even from the sixties to the seventies, let alone the seven thirties. Yeah. Well, yeah. Nineties. <laughs> Are you kidding? I mean, but, it's like my music, uh, my dad, you know, I would start playing piano and, uh, when my first album was released, I was on the phone with him and one of the jazz musicians that he used to play with, you know, mm -hmm. my dad had the territory band. And when, when, when Cab Calloway and Duke Ellington and everybody came through and they, they had to go through Luther Steinberg's orchestra, you know, to get the players. Right. So I, I only found that out. Kenny told me because he's, he's writing our family story. Right. So he finds out some things and then he shares them with me and I go, wow. Oh, anyway, so but I knew dad would play the, the first trumpet whenever whenever they came and he would get all the right because you didn't travel with the entire band all the time. You had pick up music. You picked up people. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, still do that unless you're self-contained a four or five piece band rock and roll. But uh, uh, when I look at all the music that it always changes and there's always somebody saying that the new music that's coming in sucks. So, you know, it's like. Yeah. The only thing that I, I will say, uh, I always kept the the love of the standards mm -hmm. and um, and trying to uphold the, the legacy by, by at least including. I mean, when you were coming up playing the piano and you were going to be in a piano bar, you had to know all those songs, Satin right. Doll. And all. You had to know all of those because the people sitting in the audience were much older than you. So that was that you were a young thing. And they're like, 
already in their 40s and 50s, what are they going to listen to? Right. You know, they're not going to listen to rock and roll at that time in a piano bar. So and I and even playing some of those rock and roll songs on the piano didn't work. So um, at least for me, you know, I would do musicals and things like that. Mm-hmm. And my dad was proud of me. But when after my record was released, you know, he wanted me to come down there and the jazz guy, come on down here, Diane. <laughs> we want to see what you're going to do. We want to get you, and I know what that meant. Oh, they wanted to. They wanted to get up there and start jamming, and yeah, that scared the day because I wasn't a bebop player. You uh-huh. know, I'm kind of like a what? What do you call? I don't drape myself on the piano. I play the piano. Right. I'm a musician. <laughs> so anyway, so, and, and and you know, I was hoping. It was one point, Sergeant Pepper, where I looked at Michael Schultz and I said, why don't you let us be like a self-contained girl band, you know, and this was before the Mm Go-Go's, you know, and nobody got it then. And so we kind of looked like Diana Ross and the Supremes, you know, and so, and the reason I asked, the reason I asked that is because you had, you, you followed one heck of a legacy from your your dad, your uncle, and even your mother, that yeah. you had to uphold that standard. Did you ever feel that pressure? One thing I did do, I wanted to make sure, because my mother did manage me at the beginning of my career. Mm-hmm. And, um, but when it came, when I found out about Sergeant Pepper, first of all, I didn't want to do anything. And I told Dick Broder, my manager, he was managing uh, Marilyn McCoo and Billy Davis at the time, who had taken over the Sonny and Cher spot, you know. Yes. And, uh, and uh, I said, uh, I don't want to do any movies with uh, rock stars who cannot act. Well, then I got a call from a friend of mine and she went, did you hear about that movie, Sergeant Pepper, Peter Frampton? I'm on Peter Frampton. And at that time, he had had some pretty uh, awesome record sales, you know? <laughs> yeah. Yes, it was then, unique. Yeah. And then, then I thought the Bee Gees, and this was right when the Saturday Night Fever and all that stuff had, it was David, you know, disco was starting to do, it was like, on the outskirts there. And uh, then uh, uh, what, I I mean, I'm thinking of so many things right now to tell you, and I got to pull it back a little bit. But uh, when when my manager called, he said, I thought you didn't want to do it. And I said, yeah, I think I better do it. So I called this friend of mine and uh, she's a costume director. And uh, she helped me actually costumed me on that Universal Child album. And I've told the story before, but, she said, you're going to try out for Sergeant Pepper? And I said, yeah, I was thinking maybe it'd be a good idea. You know, even though opening up for George Benson would have been pretty cool. Right, you know? yeah. But, uh, and then and then uh, Gino Vanelli, I mean, how cute was that? I mean, he was flying, <laughs> you know, and all that hair. And I, I yeah. never saw it until Saturday Night Live, all the hair yeah. put in yep. the chest and everything. But anyway, so... I said, yeah, I'm going to try out for that. And then she said, well, you're not going to get that. And I said, and why is that? Because of Donna, my friend Donna Summers, she's trying out for it. Donna, you're not going to get it. So I kind of went like, can I call you back in a few minutes? So I got on uh, with my manager and I said, uh, I want this movie because I got pissed off. 
Right, right, you right. Know? And so she, she, I said, she, he said, you, but you, I said, well, I want it now. And luckily, as synchronicity works out, uh, he went to school with one of the casting directors. So I went over there and got my Fredericks of Hollywood stockings and my little scant outfit that, that the, the, the fantastic gay guys at Capizio put together for me. Uh-huh. And I went on Paramount lot and did my audition. And I, uh, the piano player uh, was playing and he was, and you know, I was a choreographer too. So I didn't go in there and drape myself on the piano. I went in and I, I started playing and I, excuse me, I, I, uh, looked at the, the guy because I was also a teacher. Don't forget, I was teaching. Right. High school. So uh, uh, he uh, he started playing and he was so busy looking at me do my movements and stuff. He was dragging it. So I went, come on, pick it up. One, he said, <laughs> I, you know what I'm telling him as I became a teacher in there. So the, the thing that Henry Edwards, who wrote the script for Sergeant Pepper, he says, uh, you know what, when we were watching the dailies and every Donna Summers, everybody went by and then he said, can you go back to that girl that's yelling at the p- piano player? That was me. So <laughs> I got it. So that's interesting. So you got the part, you were in the movie. Yeah. You were teaching high school at the time. No. Oh, you no, were done. I taught high school. I left okay. teaching, came okay. to California in 74. I had, I had to do, do that. You know, I had to, was it going to be New York or was it going to be gotcha. California? So uh, my boyfriend drummer and I got in the car, came uh, Atlantic records, helped me pick an apartment before I got there. Uh, I was still with them when they helped me pick the apartment. Mm-hmm. But then after that, uh, I got set up on Beachwood drive. It, in fact, um, who was the guy in friends that had his own series, the dark haired one? Uh, um, uh, but, but the uh, which character? Because Joey had his own series. Was it Joey? I yeah. think it was Joey, and he had a a series. And when it opened up, they used the place where I live. Really, twenty two thirty two Beachwood Drive. That's where I live. Okay. And uh, several other actors, a lot of actors would always stay there. And then across the street, Madonna was at this big palatial place across the street and melissa manchester lived up the street near the hollywood right before the hollywood sign so it was the place to go to be close to everything you know and uh and the uh the the, uh you've just blown me away it really but the actor that played joey was uh matt leblanc that's who it was i was trying to think of his name yeah if if you go back and look at that series they'll always show the apartment building and you'll see a cat it was a a a sculptor of a a sculpture of a cat hanging on Mm -hmm. the wall that was the place I'll be darned. And I auditioned when I auditioned with Sergeant Pepper. I was living there at the time. So when you were in the movie, and I've read reviews, I've seen the movie and everything else. The movie has been panned. The music is wonderful. The acting is questionable. (laughs) What is your take on movie, or were you guys just having fun? Wow. You know, I had an you know, I'm going to have an opinion about anything all the time. Well, but I hope I, so. That's why I'm I, asking. I um, I thought our costumes could have been different. Okay. Because I was from Detroit, dude. I didn't want to be, 
Diana Ross and the Supremes, but you know, if that's what it's going to be, you're going to make the most of it. Darling, you're going to put those hands up there. Yes. Let those rhinestones blind you. So um, I felt that uh, like when we were in the studio, you know, after Peter and the boys find out that they're going to California to have a record deal. And so um, the studio was made, you know, the Louis Vuitton leather, you know, I don't mean to be like the lady is a tramp, but uh, I was, I never liked Louis Vuitton because when I touched it, it just felt like plastic. Right. <laughs> and it cost so much money. And here it was in this scene. The furniture was because Stigwood had decided he was going to go over the top with everything. And the scene, the set, the the couch, everything was covered with Louis Vuitton. But they had gotten, I think they got the the, uh, permission to put BD initials like Louis Vuitton. Mm -hmm. And uh, man, I mean... The dinners, the dinner scene, I mean, the first day we showed up there, you know, after the swimsuit scene, and uh, we're, I'm uh, going to uh, get Peter and the boys drugged so that they can sign the contract. And you remember that? Yes, I do. Okay. So, um, but uh, we got there that day, and all of us girls have been on diets, and uh we got in there and they had turkey and they had a whole pig out there. Right. And we had big magnums of champagne. I think those magnums were five foot tall and had champagne in them. And they had caviar all over the place. I mean, the last day after the last day of shooting on that set, they just put the caviar all out for the kitty cats in the neighborhood and they had a ball. So, uh, well, they so- did you had and, and and looking at it right now because I have it in front of me. Not that they were that not that they were big names then, but you had one heck of a cast yeah. in this movie. Yeah. I mean, we, of course, we talked about Peter Frampton, but you had Steve Martin in there. You had George Burns. You had Carol well, Channing. Listen, Steve Martin was supposed to be introduced along with Sandy Farina and I, but then he had a hit that kind of kind of. I, uh, blew up on everybody so they couldn't do that. He was a star now. Right. Okay, but, keep I going. Mean, Cheetah Rivera, um, you, even Wolfman Jack was in there. Uh, Margaret Whiting. <laughs> I mean, there's names oh, in here. They're all Channing. Okay, then, look, I'm looking at the picture now. Uh, Monty Rock the third, uh, uh, Frankie Valley. Tina Turner, uh, um, I am woman, hear me roar. What's yes. her name? Helen uh, Reddy. Yeah, Helen Reddy. I'm looking at Minnie Ripperton was right. I was standing next to George Burns and Minnie Ripperton was right above him. And and Cheetah Rivera was standing next to her. And then there's Shanana up there. And uh, some of the girls that used to be with Patty LaBelle and LaBelle. Oh, and some of these guys. I see the head of George Benson's uh top of his head and then alan carr okay yeah, B- billy preston you had connie stevens Edda james leaf garrett um uh let's see who else here <clears throat> anita pointer peter noon uh bruce morrow bruce johnson because that was cousin brucey bruce morrow um 
<laughs> it's like Tina Turner, Billy Harper, Frankie Valley. Uh, again, you said Sandy Farina. That is amazing that you were able to get all those people together. And I understand that not a lot of them really were big stars at the time, but what they turned into music wise and everything else. Well, some of them were already legends. I mean, I'm yeah. looking. I mean, even Connie Stevens was in there. And uh, you know what? Uh, keep on pushing. Purvis uh, May, uh, uh, Mayfield. Uh, Curtis Mayfield, yeah. Curtis Mayfield. Purvis. And then I also see Barry, uh, Barry Gibbs' wife up there, Linda, and something. <laughs> yeah, she was always teasing me all the time. And I said, Bruce Johnston, I mean, yes, you know. And then when, and this, most of those people, did go to the premiere yeah. in New York and we had a ball at Studio 54. And you know who I double dated with? First of all, Kenny, he couldn't go. You know, he was he was working and everybody, some of us were still, you know, making it then. And right. He had to stay home and uh, we were not living together then, mom. Okay. So, uh, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, uh, so I, I, I see who could Diane do this with? And Harry, um, uh, Henry Edwards, who wrote the script and, you know, the movie script and the novel, he yeah. had gone, he, everybody was starting to get depressed for some reason or something. And they said, let's put uh, Diane, how about you? And so I went to the premiere with Henry Edwards and uh, we double dated going to the premiere and everything with, um, Timothy Leary and his date. Oh wow! <laughs> <laughs> was what does he re, did he remember the movie when he came out or yeah he, <laughs> yeah he was fine. In fact, he went. And, my mother didn't know anything at this point after being in radio all these years. Yeah. She got kind of religious and you know. And then uh, we go to Studio Fifty Four where the 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 moon is coming down and it starts snorting cocaine and she didn't get any of that. Yeah. And and I was going, thank you. I'm glad she didn't, you know, but and so she's sitting up there just enjoying everything. And then Timothy Leary decided to sit next to her and cuddle up with her. And she didn't know who he was. I mean, it was it was just it was a nutty time, man. And to see all those folks trying to get in, please right. let me in. Right. I mean, oh, man, you know, man. Yeah. So, it, I mean, it, 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 for the time period and for, for what it was based on and who was in it, it is an iconic film. It really is. It's kitschy. That's a good way to put it. Uh, but um, so I see who you have behind you, which is the Fab Four. Did you? Give did me you my boys. Your boys. Did you ever have the pleasure of meeting them? And did they see the movie and, and did they respond to the movie? That was the other thing. Cause I heard John Lennon wasn't too happy with it. Well, you know, look, they didn't even want the Bee Gees to do the songs the way Bee Gees would have done the songs. This right. When, when uh, disco was starting to come in, you know, cause yes, all, yes. Of us, all of us, all the whole entire cast was invited at the Chinese Grammys theater for the Saturday night fever premiere. We, okay. we were all there. Debbie Allen was sitting behind me. I mean, it was it was amazing. Um, but, um, oh, God, I forgot the question because now I'm starting to think about that day. Okay. <laughs> I'm older than you, okay? All right. Well, so, you don't, I'll tell you one thing. You don't look it. 
you, 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 you look younger than me. I'll be honest with you. And I'm only in my mid fifties. Oh, darling. Thank you so much. Where's my lips there? Okay. So I should have been a comedian, not a stand up. Just do anyway. I think, I think you could pull it off now. Why not? Yes. You know, <laughs> and when you, when you're older and an actor, you got two things. You're either going to be funny or you're going to be horrific. Okay. I'll be grand. How about <laughs> that works for me. Okay, so uh, I was telling you something. Oh, you asked me if I had ever met them. With the Beatles, it, yeah. Yeah, the Beatles. Well, um, uh, uh, my first manager was uh, uh, Michael Viener. And he married Deborah Raffin, who was in a movie called 40 Carats. And she won an Academy Award for that. Well, uh, he was in the record business. And he had the Silvers. I don't know if you know who the Silvers were, but they were kind of like the, the competitors for Michael Jackson, you know, okay. the Jackson Five. Jackson Five. And, and uh, he managed them. And um, he gave a party for me at Perry Botkin's house. And uh, that's where I met um, 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 Otis Smith, who was at ABC Records, who got my my uh, cassette demo yeah demo and uh, said you need to be recording again that's how it all started I went to that party and met him there and Stella Stevens and everyone was there so then he invited me to a second party and it was uh, it was at Perry Botkin's house Perry Botkin was the guy that wrote God Bless the Beast and the Children you know mm -hmm. the, for the young and the restless and he yes. wrote many other songs and Perry was very very good friends with uh, Harry Nielsen so uh, and he's a singer songwriter who John Lennon has said he felt Harry Nielsen was the best songwriter that ever existed. And they were friends. Right. So we were at Perry Botkin's house. And uh, now, this, now this one, I had already met Harry Nielsen at the first party with Stella Stevens and all those guys, the old bunch, you know. So I'm there early and they said, you're, you're going to sign a record. Otis Smith is going to get you mm -hmm. this record. And um, we want to just put a little get together for you and meet some other people. And so we're at Perry Bodkin's house and uh, out comes George Burns. That was the first time I met him. Oh, wow. So me and this other young starlet, we go, there's George. Here's George. And all I'm thinking is my mother and my grandmother would die to meet George Burns. So I'm going to talk to him. So we sat there and we talked and we asked him about Gracie and all oh, what right. it was like. And, it, and he was just loving it because we were two young chicks, you know, right. the cigar. And then as he's talking and, and, and uh, the door opens and in comes this, this bunch of, of young folks, you know, and I'm looking around and, and, uh, and she says, is that who I think it is? I went, yeah. So in comes John Lennon with May Pang because he had broken up with um, Yoko. Yoko, okay. Remember that time when they broke up? So he was out with May Pang. And so they had about five of them came. And so he came around. And so Perry Botkin uh, uh, came over. He says, I want to introduce you to John. So that was the first time I met John. Uh, and um, that was very lovely. You know, I'll remember it forever. Yeah. Oh, well, I would too. Wow. Um, yeah, I must say he had a limp handshake, but, you know, I loved it anyway. So, <laughs> and then, 
I can't the inside that. scoop of John Lennon. <laughs> I said, okay, you know, you know, I know BB King, you know. So well, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so anyway, um, so then uh, on Earth Day, uh, you know, my husband Kenny Lee Lewis is in a Steve Miller band, and he's been with the band since uh, Abracadabra days, and um, so. Uh, uh, we're at the Hollywood Bowl okay. at Earth Day, 1993. Now, by this time, the movie's over, you know. Right. And, um, you know, I got my my daughter there. And and I at that time, I wanted to really push Kenny in his career because, you know, I'm, now I'm going to raise a family. Right. I even thought about going back to teaching high school anonymously, you know. But uh, so uh, I heard that uh, uh, Paul was on the set. And uh, and he and he and um, he and Steve Miller had sung and wrote some songs and sang them together for recordings, and I wanted to meet him. And then um, now this this story I've told also before, but all of our musician friends, background folks that we knew forever, and drummers and everything, they were in this all-star group on the side and they were going to sing hey jude mm -hmm. and so i'm sitting there watching them and so the girl that's leading whose name i will not mention uh uh they're saying, come on, Diane, come on and sing with us. Come on, just come on. And I'm not one to step on somebody's, you know, if you're a contractor for a gig, I don't want to be invited and do it professionally um, right. uh, and respectfully. So I went, well, so I was kind of waiting for her to say something. And she looked over and she didn't look at me anymore. And I went, well, and Kenny went, screw that. You're going to be with us. Because I had sung on Steve Miller's uh, Italian X-Rays album, too. I sang on Rod Stewart's Bad Behavior album. Really? Wow. Valerie Carter and uh, D. Archer. Uh, and, uh, and you know what? Rod Stewart is the only guy who still sends, like, little royalty checks after all these years. Nobody does that. Anyway, back to Earth Day. So, yeah. uh, so, um, so I'm there with going to walk out on the Steve Miller band with the Steve Miller band and uh, uh, Michael Keaton's here and 10,000 maniacs is there. And, and um, um, who's the girl? Um, oh, Katie Lang. Oh, and wow, so, okay. um, so we're, we're, we're told that we have to go out or come in on the side. And so no, nobody's moving. So then Paul finally goes, come on out. So Kenny, we go out and uh, um, I don't know how I ended up in front of everybody, but he, he grabs me and he goes, hi, Diane. And he gives me a big kiss. And I went, <laughs> he doesn't hate me because of the movie. Hallelujah. <laughs> I mean, you're asking me what he thought of it. I mean, you know, and he grabs me and he knows my name. So he must have thought I was okay. <laughs> so there we are and then we get we get home that night and then we get calls from nashville and everything and they say we saw you guys on cnn yeah because we were singing we were singing hey jude and here's kenny and me there's ringo and uh katie lang and we're just all the right in the middle no 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 all that stuff you know and then i'm thinking about that 
that that young lady who would not let me come uh, on. Oh, know. come on. Tell me who the young lady was. And I'm not saying, but I'll uh, tell you this. I saw her not too long ago and Kenny went, go down there and say hi. And I went, yeah, I'm going to go down because we had just performed, you know. And I went down and I stood there and I went, this chick is the same. Bye, Felicia. So I just went on, you know, people, I I love you guys out there. God bless you. I am not trying to be evil and mad or anything. But, you know, sometimes you have to move on and know who you're dealing with. After well, all these years, you don't act the same way. Come on. It's it's really funny because you were mentioning that. And I was pulling up the video and I have it in front of me and thou got it. There you are. In the <laughs> and I went, oh. And then after that, all everybody that was in the group, they were coming back. Oh, Diane, blah, 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 blah. And I got, you know, maybe that's the reason I just, I don't know. That's funny. You know? It's the industry, you know? Oh, yeah. And you gotta, I'm not one to push myself off on any, everything I've gotten, it's because somebody said, you know, you're perfect for this, come on. I, it's always been that way. And I don't mean to be lazy about it. It is time for me to go back in the studio. Like I said, Bill, one more time. More time, yeah. I, I think it's a great, I really do. I think it's a great title. Um, to the show? Yeah, I... I <laughs> <laughs> I like it. So do you other, I mean, I mean, COVID really messed us up when it came to entertainment, but do you still tour? Who, who the hell's been touring? Where have you been? <laughs> I saw the, I saw the monkeys a month ago. You did? Yeah. Recent. Okay. Well, what, uh, first of all, uh, no. <laughs> okay. Because, uh, what happened is, um, uh, I've been the equal opportunity accompanist. Don't forget, I was going to be a concert. Right. Player, you know, so I can read anything. And then because I was from Stax, Memphis, and Detroit, Motown, mm -hmm. uh, I got a pretty good ear about how to do any music and make it come to life. You know? Okay. Uh, uh, so I accompany for a lot of people and have stayed involved in... Uh, uh, when the pandemic really got bad, I was involved with Grant Crowell. God bless him. He just uh, made his transition. But uh, in Cabaret 805 through Cuesta College, where it was for adults and even children who have been homeschooled or, or musicians who've always sat behind the drums and they went, I want to sing. And then they go out front and they don't know what to do with themselves. You know, right. it's like when, you've, when you're doing this and you put it down, what do you do with your hands? Yeah. I mean, what do you do with your face? You know, some people think just singing, some people can just sing and I'll sit there all night long and others, it's like, show me something. I mean, don't sing at me, tell me right. a story. I want right. to get involved. Who are you? Mm -hmm. You know, and, but if you've been used to doing things and you have certain, that becomes part of your cell structure, you know, and, and your body, your muscle memory. So we would take people who had those aspirations, whether they were a great musician or whether they were just a little old lady who said, I always wanted to sing. And then we would, they would pick the song and we would listen and we'd go, this is not your key. Some people had to sing higher. Some people had to sing lower. Some people who thought they were Barbara Streisand, we let them know that they were not. Right. Only to make, not, not to put anybody down. Mm -hmm but to let them know that we could work with them to find their voice. 
And, and, and if they learn good phrasing from Barbara Streisand or Tata Vega or whatever, use that. All of those are tools to help you express, but you have your own voice and your own uh, way of looking at things. And that is what people, I mean, we, Kenny and I heard a guy that sang a song, uh, we were listening to 50s radio or something and, on Sirius XM. And we heard this guy, we went, that's Elvis. And he went, no, that's, a, and he sounded so much like Elvis. We, we remember the song, but we never think of that guy. We always think of Elvis. Right. What's the point of sounding like somebody else? Well, good point. Yeah. yeah. So, uh, you know, and I was thinking about your son. What, what kind of music does he do? He is, uh, he's studying uh, musical theater. So he musical can, theater. Oh yeah. He, 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 he is amazing. Um, oh, he, what he yeah. says and he has, he has a very large rate. And speaking of, uh, we were performance, talking earlier, I mean, is he going to sing? Yeah. Oh, oh yeah. Oh, is he, yeah. is he cute? Yes, he is. He looks just like his dad. No, no, oh, man. He's going he's to clean up, babe. But he was in, he was in the uh, stage musical of Xanadu. And he had this, he was Sonny Malone. So he had to learn to skate, sing while he was skating and acting on skates. And it actually worked for him because then they just did the musical uh, Elf uh, where he played Buddy. He had to be on skates and everything else. So now he has a new talent that he didn't know he had. And he's auditioning for a few things and he graduates in May. And uh, we're hoping that he, we're, he's looking for an agent right now. And then uh, going is to New York. Is he going to be in New York or is he going to come to California? He, he, he wants to do uh, Broadway. So he wants to go to New York. Oh, he's got to stay there. Oh yeah. yeah. That's so, good decision. So and, that's uh, what he wants to do. Uh, is he going to be recording or anything? Cause you know, a lot of people go and they have another career on the side. Is he going well, to be- I've been, I've been trying to convince him to do that. Um, okay. But but he's a little bit reluctant right now. So maybe dad can finally talk him into it eventually. Well, see, I'm, see, I'm going to be your teacher advisor right now. Okay. That works. Oh, you know, you just tell him, you know, I mean, he's diversified anyway. I mean, if he's skating, acting, singing, dancing and all that, that's good. And uh, so, um, yeah, you know, and I'm, and and when you are in theater, you're learning about the lights and all the other things Mm -hmm. and props. And so he's, he's going to be pretty well-rounded and he may not need your help too much, dad. (laughs) Well, he also, we have a local theater around here that he's also stage manager at, so he can pretty much do the whole ball of wax. Oh, he's, he's, he's good. He's good. So I would, uh, you were asking me something about how, uh, and this is going back in our conversation about, um, the family influence. Yes. Yes. And uh, so uh, my dad, I, and I'm sorry to backtrack That's to your okay. audience, but um, I, when I was uh, in first grade or second grade, I made a mistake on stage. My sister always teased me about it. She says, well, you make a mistake and then you stuck your head out like this. And she went on that thing for years. My dad, in the meantime, you know, the maestro, he wouldn't come to me any more recitals. But he would hear about them and he would, you know, oh, Mr. Steinberg, she's right. wonderful. Bye bye. And then finally he came, like the last concert I did. And I mean, he took it like a champ. I thought I was terrible that year, but uh, he was. Uh, he was so proud, you know, mm-hmm. I just, uh, yeah. But then my mother, she was always touting me and I had to, you know, kind of, I didn't, I heard one time, well, you know, uh, I think you probably got a record deal because your mom, you know, and I went, 
Wow, mm, I'm gonna have to change. So when I got a chance to do Sergeant Pepper, and mom, and she was no longer managing me, it was like, uh, Mom, uh, she said, what, what, she said what, what are you doing? And I go, I'll tell you about it later. I didn't want to tell her anything until I had it in my hand. Gotcha. Yeah. And because you have to have confidence for yourself. Any of those moms and stage moms mm-hmm. and dads backstage, you oh, know, yeah. let the kid do what they need to do. Oh, I understand. Sometimes they don't want to do it, you know? Yeah, Yeah, I understand. Um, But that, I I think that's interesting because you started out as teaching and now you're still teaching. You've made a complete circle. Well, you know, I listen, this is the way I feel about it. Uh, And and look, you're, you're in media and when you're giving information and you're talking to people, Mm -hmm. you are giving them information, but you're teaching them as well. And when you make your commentary and the things that you say or the music you play, you're entertained, right? right? So when I would be up in front of some high school students that knew nothing about me, especially when I just said, I'm not going to teach full time. I'm just going to go sub for all the music teachers. And I would walk in there and they go, are we going to watch a movie today? What movie are we watching? And I went, is this a music class? I don't think so. And Uh I'd hit the piano, you know, and they'd hear me play and they go, Oh, I think we're working today. So yeah. I would, I would woodshed the hell out of them. And, uh, <laughs> but it was, it was like, when your teacher comes back, I want you to have this part. Let me hear what you're doing. Do you know yeah. you're singing something wrong over there? Let's hear it again. Ah, that's wonderful. Let's do that again. So, you know, and then we would change things. So you end up entertaining when you teach and you teach when, when you're entertaining. And so I always try to make sure, and, and you know, I was with Tata Vega the other day, and there's not one show that she does where somewhere in the middle, it's something that make people feel uplifted mm-hmm. and encouraged. And I think that's what we need to do, especially in these times. You gotta be truthful, you know? Sometimes you don't have to tell them everything. There's something. <laughs> But, uh, you know, because you can tell the truth to some people and you can hurt them. But here's the deal. If if something's going to hurt somebody and leave a little wound, you need to be there with the emotional Band-Aid. After you tell somebody the truth that they need to know, be there to, um, unless you have an answer, you need to proceed slowly and kindly, you know, so... I have talked to a lot of musicians over the last couple of years. And one thing we're noticing in education is they're cutting the arts and they're cutting music programs. Bad. That's bad, dude. What I mean, do you see that having a lasting effect if they don't rectify it now? Because we're going to be losing a lot of entertainment, a lot of training because they're cutting this stuff out. Well, there's, you know what, this conversation has been going on forever oh my god i mean even when i was teaching we had to beg for every little thing i mean this was a school that had a symphony battle creek central had a symphony a jazz band they had the gospel choir they had the acapella choir most schools don't have all that so i've been very blessed to have a, you know, not go to a cafeteria for a concert, but actually go to the theater that's right, right part of the school mm-hmm. with a proscenium and, and a stage and lights and the kid. Oh, man, you know, it's like, it was wonderful. But uh, when I started at the smokehouse, you know, that girl that played uh, uh, the magic dragon 
Yeah, so, pop the, yeah, 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 yeah. I almost said something else. Lord have mercy. Okay, so <laughs> I don't. I'll tell you off camera what I was going to say. But uh, um, I went down there and it was just a tiny little rise and an upright piano. And every time I would play, because I would, I would, you know, I had long hair and I would sling my hair and yeah. I would play and I would kick the piano, keep the rhythm going and everything. And the whole front of the damn piano would fall down. <laughs> so, you know, here's the upright. Oh, yeah. the whole, so, so I saw that there was some little things up here, you know, that, that something got broke off. So I'd go and get those, you know, those big plastic multicolored uh, uh, cocktail toothpicks. Yeah, 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 yeah. And I would jam them in there and then I'd keep going, you know. Uh -huh. But uh, the, here's the one thing that, that uh, as being a performer, there's some people have big voice and some people have a small voice. And, I mean, I heard Dolly Parton and she was just the very tiniest little nuance. And, and the sound guy was on it, man. She didn't have to scream. She didn't have to do it. Got her point across. But you learn such wonderful things in the biggest of situations that you most people are not blessed to have. And then you learn them in the smallest of things because you become resourceful. You get creative. Right. You know? And um, and if you have no piano, believe me, you, you know, um, uh, I see, I was, I'm going to say didgeridoo, and that's not it. Uh, um, oh, I forgot. Oh, my God. I was going to tell you something really good. But uh, um, you will find in nature, you're going to be able to make music. I don't care if it's, you know, a, a fork on a, on a cup. You know, you're going to do a rhythm. You're going to do something because it's in us. So I'm, I'm going to be uh, very positive to this extent. I, 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 every time they think about making it less and less, there becomes a way, some way that people like us can help it become more and more. And we got to do it. Right. Because it, it helps. It helps the mind. It helps uh, music helps you understand math better. It, it helps you understand. You got to get it out. I mean, it, if you're not going to have music, are they taking it away from the marching band for the football team? Well, that's true. You're very right. You're very right. What's a football but, game without a half? Out of halftime. Yeah. That's it. Hey, I agree with you 110%. What's because a party without a live? Well, I know. See, I was going to say live band, but you know. Yeah. Because <laughs> we're getting my... back to it. We're getting back to it, Bill. <laughs> because my, I have a, I have my oldest son who's, who's graduating from college of spring in musical theater. He was yeah. in the marching band, and I have a young daughter who's 14 who's in the marching band. So what I understand. She, she, she plays play? the flute. You know what my daughter played? What's that? She played the tuba. Did <laughs> I, I, I probably am not surprised by that. Well, my daughter next year, from what we understand, her band director came to her and said, would you like to play the euphonium? And she said, sure. Well, my oldest son played the euphonium, so he's going to teach her how to do it this summer. So, Yeah, you know what, Bill? I feel like we're not even having a radio interview. We're <laughs> like having a, a hey, family uh, telephone call. It's a conversation is what I call it. Well, that's good. I, I hope your listeners feel the same way. Oh, I, I, I love it. Um, but again, Diane, I appreciate you talking to me and I'd love to have you back again when you when 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 you release the album one more time, which uh, 
is, is that oh your sergeant pepper Lodi hearts band mask it's upside down <laughs> there you go and, and uh, then when, somebody sent me a patch somebody sent me cards oh that's cool somebody, john de britneyl and then bubble gum but the, the trading cards i saw those i didn't realize they had those i listen my my people who love me they find this stuff and they just send me all you know and so i and in fact i have some of the costumes from the movie and i'm going to spiff, spiff them up i don't know where i'm going to put them but you know that's cool uh, you'll be one of the first to know i i appreciate it um so okay i'll ask you this i didn't plan to but i will so with the the resurgence of the beatles with what disney has done recently yeah. do you think that that will will branch out and maybe have a resurgent for the, the, for the movie? For Sergeant Pepper? Yeah. Well, I'll tell you, you know, Hairspray, uh, when they finally did their movie with uh, Zac Efron and everybody, and they yeah. had, uh, 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 what's her name, that, who played, um, she, oh my God. She yeah, had a they get talk show. And, you know. Uh, uh, Ricky like, Lake. The Ricky Lake. And uh, so then they had, um, uh across the universe and they had a Lucy song, but I would like to, you know, have a cameo or do something just like Rita Moreno has in West Side Story. Side Story. Yeah. So I'm putting it out to the universe. <laughs> maybe Steven Spielberg will direct that one the next time. Well, yeah, maybe, maybe he will. Cause uh, it's going to, you're going to need somebody really good to, yeah. to bring him home. And I loved Across the Universe. Oh yeah. God, I love that movie. But Bill, thank you so much. Hey, thank time. you. And thank your husband for setting this up. Uh, at least your technical side up. of it, <laughs> the technical side. Um, yeah. And your husband, as you mentioned, is Kenny Lee Lewis, who is the uh, bass guitarist for, um, the Steve, Steve Miller, band. Miller band and he used to be the lead guitarist until okay. and uh we are going we have our own band and we are going to be performing at libretto and paso robles on march 26 okay that that is that is fantastic is 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 he or is he planning on doing any tours or is he just staying local to home too oh no he's all but steve miller's going to be going out 10 times okay. so far you know, he's been very picky about this pandemic and I don't know. Oh, I can see why. I mean, yeah. we all want to be here, you know? So, yeah. um, I'm just, uh, hoping that everyone will take the precautions that they need to be considerate about other people. I would say wear the damn mask. Okay. I agree. Mask, you know, can yep. we get over this already? We all want to work, you know? So, uh, but anyway, um, uh, blessings to you and your family and uh, so much for these next uh, 2022 to your son, all the, the best luck and success in the world also for your daughter. You know, oh, now I'm talking you. as a mom. Thank you, Diane. We only got to like 1980 with your career. I'd love to know what happened after 1980. So well, I need to have you back again. I'm I'm always in and out, babe. You got you know okay. it's like, uh, teaching and then babies and then back and performing and you know I'll tell you later. I, I appreciate it, Diane. Thank you very much, and I'm glad you were able to join me today. Thank you. Love <laughs> to your audience. Hey, a big thank you goes out to Diane Steinberg for joining me today. I had a wonderful time, and I hope you enjoyed it too. Hey, we'll talk to you next time here on One on One with Bill Alexander. 
Thank you for listening to One on One with Bill Alexander. One on One with Bill Alexander is a million dollar baby production. For more information, go to BillAlexander.net. If you're into designer furniture and you want the sofa that broke the internet, you don't have to go broke to get it. Because Designer Looks Furniture has all the same styles and trends and all the quality, but without the designer prices. Check them out. Designer Looks at Value City Furniture or DesignerLooks.com. Hear that? That's the sound of a patient whose health data is protected from a cyber attack. And that... That's the sound of a financial system that's digitally secured from bad actors. Right now, there's an invisible war being fought on a digital battlefield that impacts what we do every day. That's why at Paraton, we do the can't be done to help protect the vital systems we rely on. Because if we don't, the alternative is unimaginable. Paraton.